Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to another great episode of Classic Elder Scrolls, brought to you by the Quest Gaming Network and available for download right here on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and QuestGamingNetwork.com. <clears throat> don't, uh, don't change that dial, folks. You're not in Skyrim anymore. Here we are in the Imperial City. In Elder Scrolls IV, Oblivion. I am your host and fellow Tamrielic Traveler, and this is Sundas, the 26th of Sun's Height. And I am joined by the one and only, the Sonarist himself. Excuse me. My goodness, I'm forgetting myself. <laughs> It's early, folks. <laughs> the man who can gaze on an Elder Scroll all day long without going blind. Mike, our Tamrielic historian. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing good. It's a uh, first day pain-free with the tooth area, so since May, you know, I'm doing good. All right. Awesome. <laughs> now, and we'll see if I make it all the way through the day. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of, I kind of feel you on that one. <laughs> um, and of course, uh, that other gentleman there is uh, someone who knew Uriel Septim the Seventh before he was a pudding faced potato head. Mark the Sonarist. Hey, hey <laughs> good morning, everyone. <laughs> you know, it, it, my dream is that they redo the video, uh, the opening sequence for Daggerfall with Patrick Stewart. It'll never happen, but that would be awesome. Mm. Excuse the gloom. <laughs> now you go forth to the kingdom of Daggerfall. Engage. Yes. Engage. Make it so, number two. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, reading something and it's like, they were talking about, should I play Oblivion? And it's like, all I can say is Patrick Stewart had a dream about me. <laughs> <laughs> you, I saw you in my dream. <laughs> okay, I can play this game now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Uh, well, our show is sponsored in part by Tweaked Audio. TweakedAudio.com, that's the website you're going to want to go to if you're looking for brand new headphones, fantastic quality, extremely durable, sound quality is, is epic coming out of these things as well, and they'll last you for a real good long time. But if that were not enough... They back up their product with a uh, a, a um, lifetime warranty. So if anything wrong does happen to them, I'll just bring them on back and they'll give you a new one for free. And additionally, uh, just by listening to our show, if you use the code OFF THE RECORD, we're going to get you 30% off of your order and free shipping. Worldwide free shipping. So obviously, it doesn't matter where in the world you live. As soon as you uh, buy those tweaked audio headphones and you use that code off the record, we're going to knock 30% off your price and they'll ship them to you for free worldwide. So uh, don't go, uh, don't worry about the competition. You go right over to tweaked audio, tweakedaudio.com, and also by Audible, A U D I B L E, audibletrial.com slash quest gaming network. That's the link you're going to need in order to download your free audiobook today. That's right, folks. So if you're interested, uh, if you've got maybe a long commute like many of us do here who listen to podcasts, 
Uh, give audibletrial.com slash questgamingnetwork a try. You'll download a free book. And, uh, hey, you know what? If you don't feel like going for the uh, going for the program and, and subscribing with them, no worries. You'll keep that free book on your uh, on your device. No no worries at all. So so there it is. Audibletrial.com slash questgamingnetwork. Free audiobooks and tweaked audio. 30% off some awesome headphones and free shipping. Um, Mike, also, uh, what, uh, what else do we have today? We have one more sponsor from Radiant Raymond. If you're in solitude, make sure to visit Terrier and Andier and peruse their fine line of clothing imported from the Southern Isles. If you're going to the Blue Palace, you might want to rethink that outfit. But if you're going to battle, might we suggest this battle thong? <laughs> so, so they're responsible for the clothing selection in Daggerfall. <laughs> and Battle Spire. Mostly Battle Spire. Mostly Battle Spire. <laughs> Oh boy! Um, also, Mike, uh, do we do we not have a horoscope today? Yes, we do. Today is Sundas, the twenty sixth of Sun's height, the two moons horoscope. Those born this day will find Master is waxing gibbous, sending forth his paws while Secunda is waning, returning with her cubs, the newborn Tojera. Travel is seen for many this day as the Tajera will migrate to the south, out of the deserts. Northern desert blooms will fly, yet the fields will ripen as sugar cane grows under the moon sign. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so I'm moving into some money. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Um, we've uh, we've got we've got a great show for you today. Um, but first, uh, Mark. Why don't you tell everyone uh, where they can connect with our show? Well, of course, they can always watch us live on Sundays at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time at twitch.tv slash questgamingnetwork. Um, if they want to e- email us, which we greatly encourage. We love getting emails uh, and reading them on the show and maybe discussing what uh, any questions that you guys ask or points that you bring up. Uh, you can do that at questgamingnetwork at gmail.com. And if they want to find us on the web and see, uh, you know, uh, this show and all of our other great shows involving like Warcraft and Dota 2 and uh, Fallout Now uh, and, of course, Elder Scrolls and Rifts and <laughs> all the others, um, they can find they can do that at QuestGamingNetwork.com. And, of course, for social media, they can follow us on Twitter at Elder Scrolls OTR on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Quest. Sorry, slash Quest Gaming Network, and on Google at google.com slash plus sign Quest Gaming Network. <clears throat> Take it away, Mike. So today we are going to be playing The Elder Scrolls for Oblivion with all the potato heads that are in it. Uh, we got to get you a mod to modify their faces, I think. Oh, God, do we? <laughs> got ourselves a nice looking potato head right over here, <laughs> oh, gear, Girok. so today we will be discussing the imperial city uh you know it's big news right now the imperial city so we figured we'd go back to the to the third era and look at the imperial city and then in our discussion we're going to talk about what does the imperial city look like in the fourth era uh while we're in skyrim if we could go to the imperial city what would it look like Mm. we're going to talk about the history of the imperial city in the sonaris archives cryo what the ever-changing Imperial Province, or that's Syro what? Syro, yeah, probably Syro, yeah, Syro. 
I don't know. Sir, <laughs> uh, what? Sir, what? Plus, we have a fast question and uh, some gameplay here to talk about. So what have we been doing in game? Oh, oh, I want to go first. I want to go first. I want to go first. Avara never goes first. I want to go first. Oh, I want to go first. Me, 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 me. Because <laughs> I'm really, really excited. And that's the reason why I'm playing this character today. Check this out. Okay, so this is my guy, right? <clears throat> this is um, this is the the uh, the much the much heralded uh, Paladin Ivarwin in in Oblivion. Uh, this is the guy who became a vampire uh, accidentally while trying to go on a holy quest of knighthood. Uh, while sleeping at the Roxy, right? Yes, this is him. This is the guy. This is, yeah, the, the man, the myth, the legend. The man, the myth, the legend. The Knight of the Nine, right over here. Ivarwin. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm really excited because now, let me, let me scroll down my my um, um, my catch-all tab here for in my inventory. Uh, check this out. Look at this. Repair hammer, right? I click on that. Look at that. Look at that. I can now repair all of my Knights of the Nine gear. I have finally hit journeyman in blacksmithing, or armor, I should say. Awesome. Nice. I have been trying so long to do this. <laughs> I finally did it. Yay, look, I'm repairing all my gear. Okay. What I've found is that I literally go and bring all my gear to shops, buy out their repair hammers, repair everything, and then sell the, the stuff that I'm going to trash. Just to work on that skill line. Yeah. What a pain in the neck. I, I will admit, that's one of those skill lines that I just, I never really touch. Alchemy, uh, enchanting and everything but more, uh, but Skyrim, and armoring in Morrowind and Oblivion, just, I never get into them. Yeah. Like, I know they're good, but it's just, there's so much grinding that it's just like, I really don't feel up to it. The the only way I was able to bridge the gap was um, I I spent a tremendous amount of money doing the training. I think from like from like thirty five to um, to level fifty, or from forty to fifty, something like that. And um, I mean, I didn't train every one of those levels, but um, you know, I, I I did the Knights of the Nine quest really early in this game. So I'm not gonna like you know wear a different set of armor. I've I've yet to find a, a a suit of armor that's 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 better than what I have. And I'm sick and tired of having to fast travel from wherever I was over to the um, uh, Priory of the Nine to to take all my stuff off, put it on the on the um, um, on, on the, the rack, mannequin, yeah. yeah, on the rack, and have it repaired. So, you know, I've been trying really, really hard to finally get this, and and, um, and I did this week, and I'm just, like, ecstatic. <laughs> Th- that also increases the level of the and power of the uh, the items, too, doesn't it? Yeah, it re-levels. Yeah, so, uh, save it, but yeah, saving it for a little later, every couple of levels, makes much more sense than every time the things are breaking. Right, actually, I think I'm about due for that now, we- <laughs> Take a quick bath, John. <laughs> yeah. Um, in any event, uh, that that's me. Um, what about what about you, Mark? What have you been doing in in Elder Scrolls games? I have been playing. Um, you know, other than Dances with Daggers and Friday, we did. Um, oh, now I can't remember the name of the place, but uh, uh, it's the Elden Hollow. I think it's it's the place in um, Grotwood, uh, the the group dungeon. Uh, we did the veteran version of that. And we just had an awesome time doing it. Like the the final boss was just amazing. 
So we actually got the gold keys and everything on that. So that was fantastic. Um, you did the been, uh, the dragon in there, or uh, Bogdan uh, yeah, the, the, the Titan at the very end. Yeah. Oh, that was that was an amazing run. There. Isn't that at all? Who was tanking that? Uh, I was. Oh, very good. That's awesome. Heavy, oh, heavy armor. Like really, that's probably one of the most fun bosses I've ever had to tank. It just it feels epic. You know, like f- full you know full full heavy plate uh, or heavy armor. Uh, sword and shield, you just feel like a knight. Oh, yeah. Going on against it. But, um, yeah, uh, other than that, I've started playing uh, Morrowind, and I've had two episodes so far. Uh, I decided that um, after our episode with the um, um, uh, doing the bards, I decided, okay, well, I'm I'm actually going to make this character a bard. So, I've been having a blast doing that, uh, and she's been working her way up through House Lalu. Hmm. And um, then I got to the point where you have to, okay, you can't go any further. You need to go get someone to uh, in, high up in the council to um, to sponsor you. So I went to go talk to, um, uh, you know, I was told, go talk to uh, Crassius, uh, Crassus Curio. Okay. And then I realized, oh, wait. This is the guy that wrote the Lusty Argonian Maid. <laughs> he's gonna be standing there naked for you. Yeah. So, well, no, no, he wasn't naked, but he's there. Okay, you know, I'll, 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 uh, you know, I'll let you, uh, I'll let you go. Uh, I just need to see what I'm working with for, uh, first. Take off your clothes. Oh boy. So I stripped down. Unfortunately, I had caught something uh, from a rat while, uh, you know, uh, while playing a mission earlier and he's there oh uh go get that cleaned up first okay fine put it on i come back he's there okay yeah you're not high enough level come back once you've uh filled out a bit do you notice how this, this story uh <laughs> the story's you know, getting creepier as he's telling it yeah, well then he keeps uh you know of course then after i go level up a bit and he's there okay you know he's okay you can call me uncle crassus pudding so uh, at the encouragement of one of the people in the chat, Luna, who's always in the chat, um, you know, one of the one of my great uh, great supporters there, um, I ended up beating him to death with my bare hands <laughs> before reloading because just wow, you know, there are mods for this game that we can't really talk about because of our rating, and it's like this series is just becoming those mods for me, and I'm really getting scared, <laughs> man. <laughs> It's like this is all the game is becoming is just a a, a continuous sexual harassment for me. <laughs> well, you did find oh. those gloves there, didn't you? Oh yeah, that gets even better. Uh, Morrowind, oh everything God, yeah. in it has been placed by the the developers. There's really nothing suit random really when it comes to what you find. So I'm exploring, and what do I come across? But a gauntlet of the horny fist. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, this this has to be a callback to Battlespire. Yeah. You know, for the real fans, the people who actually played Battlespire and get where it's coming from. And then, no, I find another one. Yeah, I have to wonder if, like, they had, like, code put in there. Like, if yeah. it detects Battlespire on your computer, if it automatically places those items. <laughs> I, I, I mean, like, this is a thing? <laughs> you know, what, what part of the horny fist was this, like, you know what? That's what mages are calling magic items these days. That's what they're going to call it. It's just like, what? Uh, seriously, guys. Seriously, this is this is what we're coming across. I saw that picture on Twitter, and I laughed so hard. 
at that yeah. uh, at that whole thing. I mean, it, it was it was hysterical. I didn't think that they would even acknowledge. Oh yeah, let, like let alone that. bring it like multiple items under that name. And it gives you a bonus to hand to hand combat, which you know was even creepier. <laughs> <laughs> well, so. Yeah, no, this that that's kind of been my uh, you know my experience the, this last week. I'm uh, I finished. I got Grandmaster in House Lalu, and congratulations. Uh, so, uh, I still need to get a little further in the main quest before I can uh, actually slap Kirio to death because um, uh, he's important to actually finishing the campaign, like the main quest. So, but on on the plus side, I've gotten uh, a new estate that uh, they had built for me, so my character actually has a home. Other than that, it's just been a walking simulator for most of the time. (laughs) Yeah. I've been able to avoid a lot of combat because the character is so good at at speechcraft. Uh Um, But it's basically been like, walk here, walk there, walk here, walk there, back and forth. Well, that's uh, a good portion of... um of uh, of Morrowind is is you know is the walking it oh yeah. oh sorry one last thing mm-hmm. uh, there's a mod like this is the last thing mm-hmm. there's a mod from um, uh, it was made by Bethesda it's an official mod that you can download I found it through um, the unofficial Elder Scrolls pages called Entertainers and it means that there is a bar in um, in Balmora that you can go to and entertain the patrons by like telling a joke or juggling Kwama eggs or singing and playing the lute and that type of thing. So I went in there and it's like, okay, you know, I'm playing a bard. Let's do it. And I've made a habit of when I do this, I turn off the volume and I'll actually sing something for the people in the chat. Really? Yeah. But so oh, they the must first, love that. Using your Mariah voice. <laughs> no, no, no. I've I, at the moment it's just been goofy songs. So. Um, you know, eventually I'll do something in Mariah voice when I've got the vocal cords to actually sustain something like that. Can you do something in Mariah Carey voice? Oh, God, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I wear glasses. They wouldn't survive that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the first time I went in, it was like, okay, you know what? I want to be a bard who sings and plays the lute. So I click sing and then play the lute. And then it's like, it said, you... You don't have a lute, so you do a meanest, you know, enthusiastic air guitar while singing your song, and everyone just stares at you like you've grown <laughs> two heads. <laughs> so it was like, oh, huh. So I went to another bar, and there was a lute standing on stage. So I said, okay, well, uh, I can't seem to find a lute to buy, so I'll just take that. I went to grab it, and everyone, of course, gets angry and starts attacking. And one guy hit me so hard that my character ragdolled flew across the room, sliding oh, across the floor, <laughs> right to the door. It's, <laughs> like, the, it's those gauntlets of horny fists that he had on. Apparently. Yeah. So it was like, oh, crap. Uh, ran out the door, and I went back. And at first it was... Um, I think that might know, have been the sort of, gauntlet sort of, of the powerful fist. Oh, God, yes. But like at first it was like, oh, you just sort of look... Uh, you know, like you, you play, and it's like, oh, you don't really have the skill or the personality pull, to pull this off. Now I'm at the point where I play, and it's like, I bring tears to everyone's eyes. <laughs> it, it's a great little mod, and it's just, it's funny. The whole, yeah, you don't actually have a lute, so you just do an enthusiastic air guitar. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. And, right. and uh, what was the name of that, that mod again? 
It's called The Entertainers. The Entertainers. Can you actually, like, is it purchasable or is it... No, it's a free mod. Free mod? Um, that they put out a bunch of free mods uh, for Morrowind, but, um, like, really to find it, you need to go to the Elder, unofficial Elder Scrolls page. Uh, pages. And because they, uh, they have it all there and linked to it. There's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's eight. There's eight ones there. Like one adds um, bitter coast sounds. Let the gentle chorus of swamp wildlife draw you further into the mire throughout this entire swampy region of the bitter coast. You'll find firefly creatures now inhabiting the mucks and ponds. Um, arrows that give area of effect explosion things. Uh, adamantium armor. Um, a couple of artifacts. And an entire thing where you lay siege to a fortress of the undead ruled by a lich. Nice. So, yeah, these are just sort of a bunch of different mods that um, they actually have, you know, they've, they've had for a while, but few people actually realize it. Yeah, I, I never heard of those. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so uh, Mike, what about you? What have you been doing in game? So I have been playing my, in Skyrim. Um, for those that have been following, I've got a uh, mage character who uh, plays with traditional mage Dungeons and Dragons rules. No armor, uh, no weapons other than a staff or a dagger, and is relying heavily on spells and the tank goddess that is uh, Lydia to keep me alive. Hmm. And I've been going after the Galder amulet, and so I finished the dungeon underneath um, the Blue Palace uh, part of uh, Solitude. So if you go off the cliffs there and you can look right up, you can see the Blue Palace. Right, yeah. So there's a dungeon there that holds the second fragment yes. of uh, the Galder Amulet. So I've completed that one. And uh, from there, I walked through the swamps of Morthal to uh, Labyrinthia to cross over to Whiterun so that I could make my way down to Iverstead. So I've run away from a lot of frost trolls <laughs> and giants <laughs> on the plains of uh, Whiterun because I am way under-leveled for going through those areas. <laughs> 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 it's it's hilarious. I'm only level nine, um, so you at know. Least some... At least giants aren't super aggressive. There's yeah. there's at least that. But when you are being chased by a pack of frost trolls through Labyrinthia, because <laughs> <Yeah, know? laughs> you're too you know stubborn to go around the long way. No, oh, you have to go the long way. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, you then have frost trolls that run into giants. And the giants and the frost trolls are chasing after you. It's like, Jesus, give me the white run faster. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, a horker. <laughs> so I got to white run and then uh, went to complete uh, hitting the books. So if you um, go to the east of white run, there is. Um, so in the Mages Guild questline, you have to go and uh, retrieve books that one of the former students stole. And uh, he's gone and hooked up with this alternate you know clan of mages where they've got a lot of necromancers in it and uh, you have to retrieve the books and the option to save him along the way and so uh, I've completed that I have the books and now I'm making my way down to Iverstead to finish the last Galder amulet uh, piece that I need before I have to put them back together wow epic quest isn't it it is and at you know very low level it's really epic because you know, there's areas you're not supposed to be going into at this point in time. So, uh, you know, it's like you got leveled dragons, which are actually pretty easy compared to some of the other things that, 
you know, you're running into because you're not really supposed to be those levels, like, you know, the frost trolls in Labyrinthia. Mm-hmm. Hmm. All right. Um, well, anything else, Mike? Well, that's been about it for my classic gameplay. All right. Uh, we've got a big show for you folks, uh, all lined up as I'm, um, I'm playing some quests here in, in, um, in the Imperial City. Um, you know, I want to let you know that the, we're going to be spending some time here in, in Oblivion. Um, and this, uh, this Oblivion series is all about locations. And today we're kicking it off, obviously, <clears throat> uh, with the Imperial City. Now, as we left the third era and began the fourth era in Skyrim, we notice an empire beginning to fall into disarray. So my question is, how do we think this could be reflected if we saw the Imperial City? Essentially, what's our opinion of what the Imperial City would be like at the dawn of the fourth era, right about the time of, of Skyrim? So, um, I want to kind of switch this, uh, switch the spotlight over to Mark on this one, because as I was driving home from work, uh, a couple of nights ago, I had thought of this discussion topic and one thing in my mind kept, kept ringing. And that was your voice in my head saying, there seems to be a theme about Skyrim and that is things fall apart. And also you had mentioned a couple of episodes back, um, we seem to be in the beginning of Oblivion at the dawn of uh, a renaissance here in, in Cyrodiil at the Imperial City. But it's kind of halted because of the, the, uh, the death of the, the Emperor and uh, the, mm-hmm. the, uh, the dragon fires being, um, you know, not being lit. Um, and of course, you play through the quest, and but we—it it seems like it. We never go back to it, and we never really understand if if it ever recovered from the chaos or if it descended further into it. Yeah, well, and and that's the thing. Like the the game ends with basically an assault by the Daedra on the Imperial City itself, you know, in Oblivion, and. Uh, and Mike will get into much more detail on this, but by the time Skyrim has occurred, the Imperial City has been taken by the Dominion and then been taken back by the by the, the Empire. And the one thing that has always struck me about the Imperial City is that it is an amazingly defendable position. It's on the middle of an island. There's one bridge. Um... The every way into the city are massive, massive walls. The harbor itself is extremely protected. If you want to hold this city, an invading army is going to have so much trouble getting in. It's not funny. So, my when I picture the Imperial City by the time of Skyrim, the same way the Empire is falling apart, I see the Imperial City as just being. They're trying to rebuild. They have had two major sieges in a very short period. Um, and I, I basically see it as not as bad as it will be in, not nearly as bad as it will be in the, um, 
in ESO, but I see it as being kind of close in a lot of ways. I mean, with when we're talking mages and, and everything like that, you're not taking this city without doing major structural damage. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure the White Gold Tower is fine, because this thing seems to be able to survive ages without taking much of a scratch, but... I'm sure that the surrounding areas of the city, the quarters and whatnot are just, or the districts are just in ruins for the most part and are just basically people trying to rebuild their lives. So that's kind of how I see what it's going to, what it would look like by that time. I don't know if, if you, you know, and again, but that just sort of continues with my idea that Skyrim in the fourth era really is the idea that things fall apart. Mm. Um, what do you think, Mike? Yeah, I really see a lot of, like, certain areas I think are going to have been rebuilt uh, pretty fast. I mean, you know, areas like the uh, the marketplace, uh, the, you know, key things like uh, the Imperial prisons, I think are going to have been rebuilt. But I think, like, the uh, waterfront district, I think is probably not even going to be available at the fourth year. I think it's going to be, you know, just have been decimated. And, you know, being that it's already a, a shanty town, I very much doubt that it's going to have gotten much better uh, after the, you know, the Great Wars. Uh, the arena, you know, that might, you know, look more like the Coliseum does to us now um, in the modern, excuse me, in the modern era. Um, I don't know if they would have rebuilt the, that area. Um, you know, it's, it's all about money. So... You're going to have areas where you have the richest populace, if they've returned, that are going to be rebuilt, and uh, you're going to have areas that are just going to be complete and utter, you know, ghost town parts where you've got slums and shanty towns that I think that have built in their place. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I I tend to I tend to agree. Um, I I sort of feel like. You know, if we were to see the Imperial City in the fourth era, um, you know, obviously the, the the structures would probably be very similar. But I think you'd see a lot of a lot of closed up, um, a lot of closed up businesses at that point. I think uh, the the racial diversity that exists in Oblivion would be um, not not as diverse as well. And honestly, I, I think y you'd probably see a little bit more of a, a military presence. Um, I oh, think yeah. there'd be a lot more poverty in the streets. I don't think it'd yeah. be a place that's that's unrecoverable, uh, just just uh, economically recessed mm -hmm. in in some of the more extreme senses of the term, but not quite depressed. Yeah, yeah, I think you'll see a lot of high elves, but they're all going to be Thalmor agents. You know, you're not going to see like you know the the Altmer uh, shopkeeper. You know that they're not going to be well looked upon in the Imperial City. Yeah, you know, so I think that you're going to see if you, any racial diversity from Dominion controlled areas such as the Bosmer, the Khajiit, or the Altmer, they're going to be part of an entourage of Thalmor. They're not going to be independent shopkeepers. They're not going to be independent citizens. Yeah. Yeah, no, without question. And let's, at, at that time, you know, by this period, um, 
there's been so much needs to be rebuilt that the idea of returning the city to its glory, it's not, it's not coming in. People need food and basic, basic shelter far more than they need the, uh, than they need the everything to look nice. I sort of see the, the Thalmor as, um, the, the answer to a power vacuum that's existed since the end of oblivion. Oh Um, yes. Yeah. to me, it, them being in Skyrim sort of represents their their um, th- them pushing the boundaries of of an empire they're forming, um, and the Imperial City is one in which they've got their roots in deep already. Um, you can you can see that when you when they talk uh, to to. Um, Imperial uh, agents, Imperial warriors uh, in Skyrim—that they're they're recognized, uh, their their authority is recognized in um, in the Empire. So, uh, them moving into Skyrim to me kind of sounds like okay, they're they're trying to push that northern border and 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 gain influence there. This way, they can they can finally um, not have to worry about. You know, uh, another Alessian uprising. If if mm-hmm. they decide to really, you know, wallop the Imperial City and, and take it for their own, um, I I think also that part of it is they they want the Empire as, sh- as broken as possible because to to really um, achieve their goals, they need to take the Imperial City. Like that's just for their own idea of their own continent-spanning empire. They need the Imperial City and. They were caught off guard when the Imperials, again, like Mike will get into this, but when the Imperials actually took the city back, even though it cost them greatly, this caught them off guard. They didn't expect that to happen. So since that period, they've been able to make sure that um, uh, Hammerfell is, you know, was forced to basically be, the Empire was forced to remove them from the Empire. They were forced to kick them out. So suddenly, it may, they can't rely on Red Guard support. Um, they're encouraging a civil war up in Skyrim because if Skyrim splits from the Empire, they lose the Nords. So, since their failure to keep the city, it seems that they decided to take the longer view that they're better off um, isolating Cyrodiil and the Empire from any allies they could have because that will mean because it basically comes down to if Cyrodiil is able to rebuild the legions the uh, the Dominion's in trouble they they have a harder time getting the numbers up than humans would um, so the Imperials will rebuild their fighting forces before the Dominion will but if the Dominion can prevent them from having the the same breadth of options for people to draw from, the Dominion will have a much easier time taking, you know, basically fighting back and defeating the Empire and taking what they see as the, is rightfully theirs. And then, you know, on top of that, we, we're talking about the Empire in the fourth era at this point. You know, anybody who's played Skyrim has most likely played through the Dark Brotherhood questline. And Amon Montier, who gives, who pays for the assassination uses a um um a necklace to pay and it is um 
what is it here? Uh, necklace made uniquely for the Emperor's Elder Council. So, you know, theoretically, either A, he is a member of the Elder Council, or B, he's a um, an agent of someone on the Elder Council that is, is you know, trying to bump off the head of the, the Empire to weaken it even more. So, if you have infighting, not only do you have the Thalmor that are there, that are going to be, you know, trying to puppetize the Empire, but you also have infighting amongst the Council and the Empire and the Emperor, you know, you're going to have this definite, like, we've gone from a renaissance where, you know, you've got great works that are going on at the beginning of of TS4 here, to the point now where, you know, it's going to be, you know, a battle-ridden shantytown where even the politicians can't agree on what to do, you know, because they're trying to, to pull themselves up the ladders. Yeah. Hmm. Well, um, let's let's keep it on mic here. Uh, from good discussion, guys. All right. Um, speculation, of course, is is all <laughs> good. It is. Depressing discussion. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but at least we have beautiful music. I mean, this for the next three to four weeks here. You know, we are going to be entertained by the music, definitely. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. yeah. Some of the best music soundtrack of all of the video games is right here. I I completely agree. When uh when I'm l- looking to listen to something Elder Scrolls, I I I get a I get a special feeling off of uh off of the Oblivion soundtrack versus any of them and uh so I I was thinking about that earlier. I'm, I I love the fact that we're going to be having this in uh in the show now. Um so all right. So in the in the history of, all right, we're going to be doing uh, quite a few things. So let's um let's switch over to Mike, okay, with uh, our our wonderful Tamrielic historian. So uh, you know anybody who's been paying attention to Bethesda and Zenimax Media uh, knows the big announcement was the Imperial City. So we figured we'd kick off uh, this series of classic Elder Scrolls. Uh, by going to the Imperial City, uh, the White Gold Tower, and you know, getting a feel for what we can expect when we uh, when the Imperial City comes out uh, for ESO, and so I wanted to give you guys an idea of you know what the 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 city will look like in the future, uh, and what kind of changes you know we're going to see uh, as uh, we progress here. Uh, so. Let's take a look at where the Imperial City and the White Gold Tower came from. So we're going to start with a book called The Timeline Series, Volume 1, Before the Ages of Man, by Alcantir Shmiri. Uh, the Middle Marathic Era, the Almeri, this is A-L-D, not A-L-T, uh, mortals of elven origin, refugees left their doomed and now lost continent of Almeris, also known as Old Elnafe and settled in southwestern Tamriel. The first colonies were distributed at wide intervals on islands along the entire coast of Tamriel. Later, inland settlements were found primarily in fertile lowlands in the southwest and central Tamriel. Wherever the beast folk encountered the elves, the sophisticated, literate, technologically advanced Aldmeri culture displaced the primitive beast folks back to the jungles, marshes, mountains, and wastelands. The Adamantine Tower was rediscovered and captured by the Dereni, a prominent and powerful Aldmeri clan. The Crystal Tower was built on Thummerset Isle, and later the White Gold Tower in Cyrodiil. So this is the Middle Marathic era, uh, well before the coming of man. And so the first one is the Adamantine Tower that was captured by the Dereni. This can be seen in ESO. It's uh, 
up in High Rock area. Uh, it's the one that, if you remember back, this is the tower where the uh, uh, Adra had their council after Lorcan tricked them, and uh, they shot uh, Lorcan's heart on an arrow from the tower. Uh, this is the one that all of the other towers are supposedly modeled after. So if you're wondering what it looks like, just look to the White Gold Tower, and uh, you'll see the replica of it, I guess is the best way to put it. Mm. Yeah. Um, oh, one thing that uh, is interesting. Um, there's a story about someone, I can't remember the guy's name, but he's known as the Navigator, and he was supposed to be the first uh, elf to actually navigate up the Nivenay River. And he found that on the island in Lake Grumaire, where the imperial city now stands, it was actually populated by a race of uh, beast folk who were birdmen. That's the that only is one reference thing, we get. Yeah. That is one thing that I really hope, like, people say, oh, what would you like to see come to ESO in the future? Is uh, if you read through enough of the books, you have the monkey men of Valenwood, the birdmen of Cyrodiil. Yeah, I really hope that we start seeing more, maybe not playable races, but other races as they open up areas of these, you know, yeah, very much minority. Yeah, the fox folk that supposedly live in elsewhere. I think that they were Black Marsh, actually. I thought the fox folk were Black Marsh and the snake men were uh, Black Marsh. I'm not I may sure. be wrong. Oh no, there's well, there's so many. And yeah. The, the part of the problem is that they've already established that a lot of these different races no longer exist, like no longer exist by the time of the second era. Yeah. So. But there are some that are still talked about, like um, if you read uh, *A Dance in Fire*, that uh, the um, the main character is afraid when they're at the campfire that the things that they're seeing in the trees above are the monkey men. Mm-hmm. It turns out to be that they're actually Khajiit that have are raiding the camp. So, you know, and that's in the third era, I believe, is when that one is set. Or no, maybe that's set in the second era. Um, yeah, and so, you know, so you have things like that where uh, there have the potential for isolated populations of these, you know, very small clans of very strange and alien-looking creatures. But what does the fox say? <laughs> no, I didn't want to interrupt with that dumb joke, but you—you <laughs> you, you just had to. I had yeah, to throw it in. Says it was Topal the pilot. Ah, there we go. <clears throat> <laughs> no, no, it—it it, it had to happen. That's that was too good to miss. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, for those that are wondering, uh, Avarwin does have. Uh, the uh, skeleton key. So, yes. Picking has become much less uh, a uh, 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 masochistic event. Yes, a lot less Let's of a drain. <laughs> Unfortunately, you might have to hear some clicking every now and again. So, our next book is The Seed of Sundered Kings, Cyrodiil. Uh, we're talking about the Imperial race. Uh, but first, the Eliads were an ancient Aldmer, cousins of all the elven races that existed to this day. Over time, they became a distinct people, crafting a civilization whose ruins still puzzle and fascinate modern archaeologists and adventurers. The ancient Nedic people, spreading south from Skyrim, became the slave labor for their ambitions, centered around the White Gold Tower. So, 
even though a lot of people say, oh, you know, the White Gold Tower was built by the aliens, thing to remember is, just like in our own culture, you know, that uh, the pyramids are built by the Egyptians, it's built on the back of slave labor. So the entire Elysian uh, revolt and all of that, these are the people that actually built the White Gold Tower and the Imperial City, the slaves that to the Aliad uh, elves. Hmm. There was a lot of very graphic stuff that, uh, in as I was doing the research on, like uh, some of the other amusements that the Aliads had for the human race, uh, other pastimes that they used human flesh for, other than slave labor. So, Ew. yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, Avar, when you need to wait between eight a.m. and eight p.m. Monday to Thursdays or Turdas, uh before you can actually get into the guy's house. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's the, this is one of those quests. It's like, why, why, why won't he leave? I need to get in there. Gotcha. But this is also one of those quests that really, I hope they bring back this kind of thing in Test Six, where your character they have their own life, their own schedule, their own. You know, they're not just there to be there for you. That they do their own thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was breaking into this guy's house here, uh, Matthias Draconis, uh, thinking it was the same place. And then I, had, I went next door, and it says um, Agamir's house. And you said it's between 1 p.m. and 8 p.m. I'm able to get in there? It, uh, I think it was 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Here, let me... Uh, his house... Um, oh, between 8 p.m. and 8 a.m. He, he's out from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., from morning to tur- uh, from okay. Morndas to Turdas... Uh, he leaves just after 4 p.m. and turns after 8 p.m. So, oh, on Friday, Friday, he... Okay, so, Lordas and Sundas, he's out from 8 to 8. Monday to Turstas, uh, Morindas to uh, Turdas, he's there, uh, he's out from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. And on Friday, it's 5 p.m. till 7 p.m. Okay, so... So it is now uh, 4:28 on Tirdas. So he should be out of the house. Okay, so let's go. Let's go check that out. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. I, I don't. No, hey, that, oh, that's yeah. the beauty of this game is that you know there are nuances and uh, eccentricities that need that sometimes are very frustrating, but sometimes also very like you know you wouldn't you would expect in the real world, right? Uh, and it was pointed out in. Um, uh, the uh, the chat room here that um, the White Gold Tower was really the only thing built by the slave labor uh, with the uh, uh, humans that were captured by the Elliots and that uh, the city itself was built later by the uh, Elysians or the Cyrodelians or the Imperials, whatever you'd like to call them, uh, throughout uh, the rest of the century. So, you know, the Imperial City in its current state wasn't always the same way. Interesting to think about um, what this may have looked like without it being presented. It's so obnoxious. (laughs) Uh, um, As we see it here in in, uh, Elder Scrolls 4, we always think about the Imperial City being exactly what we've seen in Elder Scrolls Four, and if you've been around long enough, you know that it, it Cyrodiil should have been a um, a jungle. But obviously, that's not the case. But other than than it supposed 
supposedly looking like a jungle and it not being a jungle. We really have no common basis of understanding as to what the Imperial City may have looked like in ages earlier. Yeah. And it's one thing that they've either done really, really well in ESO or just really, really poorly in ESO, depending on where you're at. Right. Like some of the cities and townships look completely different than what we see in their, you know, single player counterpart. Uh, Riften being an example. Uh, if you read through the book Cross Daggers, uh, you realize that Riften as it exists in Skyrim, uh, the game, is a very modern Riften compared to the ancient Riften that was actually a much more magnificent city uh, through the years in the past because they had this crazy Jarl who was in charge and there was, you know, a huge uprising and a burning of the city and, you know, just a whole bunch of changes. So, you know, a lot of the stone structures were destroyed in this, this revolution. And it's now, you know, what you see here in Skyrim is much different than what is written about historically. Uh, now, I'm hoping that with the Imperial City that we see in the second era when they open it up that, you know, they've gone through and they've made some major changes, I guess to, you know, the basics of it, that, uh, you know, it, it should not look like, you know, the, a cut and paste out of this game into ESO with just warfare happening in it. Right. It should look mm -hmm. different. <clears throat> yeah. So. Okay. Yeah, what else you got, I mean, a huge amount of land looking at that map that, you know, could still be like, you know, just shanty towns or wooden buildings on there or, you know, burnt out buildings and things like that. So. So if we move on to the Song of Pelennel, Volume 3, on his enemy. Uh, Pelennel Whitestrake was the enemy of all Elfenkind that lived in Sarad in those days. Now I like realize, the guy already. <laughs> yeah. Now realize, you know, it's not called Cyrodiil at this point in time. Uh, Remen Cyrodiil has not been born. This is still uh, at the time of the Elysian uh, Revolt. Uh, mainly, though, he took it upon himself to slay the sorcerer kings of the Iliad in prearranged open combat rather than at war. The fields of rebellion he left to the growing armies of the Paravania and his, nep his bold nephew. Pelinol called out Haromir of Copper and Tea into a duel at the Tor and ate his neck veins while screaming praise to Remen, a name that was not yet known. Then came the storming of the White Gold, where the Aliads had made a pact with the Aurorians of Meridia, and summoned them, and appointed the terrible and golden hue half-elf, Umaril, the unfeathered as their champion. And for the first time since his coming, it was Pelinel who, who was called out to battle by another, for Umaril had the blood of the Edda and would never know death. So hmm. this is one of the only times that we hear about during the... the um, the slave revolt, the white gold tower being talked about and what was going on. So, um, it seemed to have some really importance to the Eliads there. You know, the fact that they made packs with Meridia. Uh, so it, it, that's also an interesting thing, considering a lot of people consider Meridia to be, you know, a good Daedra or, you know, something other than Daedra. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, there they are, you know, there's, packs being made between the Aliad Elves and Meridia at the White Gold Tower. Well, maybe that was in her younger days when she was a little bit more rambunctious. 
<laughs> yeah, well, and that's the thing about the Daedra is that even when they're good, it's sort of their version of being good is still very different from how mortals view it. You know, they like she's she's much more like what she wants out of things is m- more often in line with what mortals see as good, such as the destruction of undead. But in the end, it still comes down to uh, she's a god, and she's not she's not doing what she does for just to help mortals. Yeah. She has her own purposes behind things. Because yeah, especially when you think about like you know the Daedric cults that they talk about, and every you know I don't know about everybody else, but like in my mind, whenever like I hear of the Daedric cults, I always think of like cults to Molag Ball or cults to. Um, Mayrun's Dagon or Sanguine or anything like those ones where you would see the the bloodthirsty Daedra, the you know the ones that are you know I smell fear you know runs into battle mm-hmm. charging or the uh, you know some of the stuff that we've seen in ESO and Oblivion you know the the that kind of thing not the uh, the the golden uh, Aurorans of Meridia being the Daedra that were summoned and the Pact of Akatosh being to keep those guys out, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think of those guys as like angelic beings almost, and it's like, wow, you know, those are the kind of Daedra that were being summoned and kept out of, uh, you know, through the uh, the Pact with Akatosh. Hmm. Yeah, no, it's it is interesting, like, again, how how they've always dealt with the Daedra that way, how... Even when they're, even the the Daedra lords that you would or princes that you would expect as well, these are the good ones. At times, they're they aren't necessarily any any better or worse than their counterparts. At times, to be fair, Molag Bal is pretty much always a jerk, but <laughs> you know, even when he's referred to as a, a she. Yeah, I can't remember. Uh... Which uh, book that was that we were talking about? That uh... even Boethia, right? Even she, she tends to be like she's not really a um, like considered to be uh, like an evil, uh, an evil Daedra. But you, uh, you see, she is she isn't considered evil by the Dunmer, but she's the one that like in Skyrim, if you want to summon her, you have to sacrifice one of your companions. Right, right. That's kind of what I'm I'm sort of yeah. trying to get at. That she's not considered to be an an evil Daedra, really, but <laughs> I mean, look what you have to do in order to, you know, have any sort of discourse with her. And yeah, her, her, yeah, her and Mafala are often seen as as darker Daedra. But again, like when we were going through Morrowind, the Dunmer don't see any problem with those two. It's like these are are th- of the three good Daedra, and lump her in with Azura. So, yeah, no, just. Uh, the Daedra do what the Daedra want to do. Yeah. Essentially. Now, Avarwin, uh, what district are you in right now? Um, market district. Can you go to the arena? Off to the arena district? So it should be the one over from there? Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the arena district, uh, before we move out of the, you know, first and second era here, um, or first era, um, Inside the uh, the Imperial City, we've come across a number of statues. Uh, 
two of them, though, in the uh, arena district. One of the statues is uh, Queen Alessia, and it's in the southern part of the district. And it should be a female statue that uh, should have bindings on uh, the wrists or ankles, I believe. Mm, I think this um, is uh, her right here. Yep, I got it. Yep, she's got a... Uh, well. <laughs> Don't know if she's got bindings on on her uh, her arms. There it looks like it's an extension of her dress, but it is a prominent female character. I don't see any yeah. plaques here, though. Uh, it almost looks like there's shackles on her ankles, though. Yeah. Actually. Oh, wait, yeah. There we go. Sorry, I was looking at the arms. Yep. Yeah, no, she's her legs are shackled. And then to the north side of the district, uh, there is Morihas, which is. He's a very uh, strange character. He's from the same period. He was the champion of the arena, uh, but he's referred to kind. The best way to, to think about him is um, from the readings that I read is the bull character from um, Dragon Age, the Iron Bull. There, like some type of like half man, half minotaur, you know, type of thing. Uh, so let's see what the statue looks like. Oh, we got a guy here um, dressed in imperial garb with his uh, shackles. He's got shackles in his left hand, and he's pointing with his right hand. Yeah, and so there's a huge debate as to, you know, this guy, you know, being, you know, described in the books as, like, the bull. Now, is that the kind of concept of, like, he's, you know, strong like bull? Or, you know, being that there are minotaurs in Oblivion, the game, you know, was he to be considered part, you know, part bull? Mm. Uh, but mm -hmm. he was the pit fighter who led the Alessian armies in taking of the White Gold Tower uh, and to end the Eliad rule of Cyrodiil, the province that would later become Cyrodiil. Okay, well there, there he is, the bull, and he he looks like he's leading. Yeah, so those are the two prominent, uh, you know figures of history when it comes to freeing uh, the Imperial District uh, from the Eliads. And I'm never sure what to call it at this point in time because, you know, you've got the Colovian Highlands and uh, uh, Sarad and um, yeah, the Nibine Basin. And they won't be uh, uh, they won't be actually uh, unified until Roman Cyrodiil shows up. So yeah. mm. It's called so. the Bronx. The Bronx. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's always, you know, a fun, you know, little thing there is, uh, you know, finding these kind of I Easter love, eggs and, you know. I love how they take the the uh, history of the lore and it's it's represented in the game in things that that you see around you you know in in Cyrodiil, it's with these these statues and and you know you, you pass them you don't think twice about it and that happens in real life i mean how many times are you you know walking around town and you see a plaque in a yeah. garden or you you see a statue and you just you know you walk past it and you give directions to someone you're like oh yeah just take main street and make a right at the statue with the the guy there on uh, on the horse. And you're like, oh, okay, all right, oh, there's the guy with the horse. I'll make it right here. But, you know, do you know who the guy on the horse is? Like, do you know what he did? Why he's important to that town? And you walk through the, the, the you know, you walk through Cyrodiil here, and, like, there's this dude here in a robe. Like, and he's holding a chalice. Like, that might be Galarian the Mystic, but, you know, I have no idea who the hell that is. 
Um, and you kind of get like this feeling of you kind of get that same feeling of just just forgotten history or or yeah. history so long ago that you just don't. It's just not, it doesn't it doesn't hit your recollection upon sight. And you literally have to with these games, you know, ask the developers, oh, who is that thing, and then see if they give you a response. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it may just be you know you know statue number one, and they wanted to put it in and to give a feel for the statues, but it's like. Now, okay, we've got these statues, you know, who would it be? I mean, we talked about this when we did the Stonefalls episode. You know, there's this statue outside of Davin's watch. Is that a statue of this person, Davin? Is it a statue of Amalexia? You know, and here we have a statue of Alessia and a statue of her general. You know, and the only reason we know that is because you go to the, you know, Imperial Library or um, uh, the unofficial Elder Scrolls pages and somebody has actually made comment about it. Right. From Bethesda. But yeah. we're going to run into statues all over the place here. Nine divine statues, former emperors. We won't know who they are because there was no placard ever. Yeah, like I believe that's uh, that's Talos in the dead center right there. At least that's what I would assume. Or, But it could be Raymond Cyrodiil. Well, in the, uh, the one district, there is the Talos district. And uh, they do mention somewhere in one of the books here. I think that I actually might have it. That it is Talos, a statue of Talos in the one district. Mm-hmm. So let's go on to uh, our. We're going to hear a lot from her over the next couple of weeks. Uh, Alyssa Otis, uh, the uh, guide writer. So uh, if you go back to the first episode I was on uh, with Chaden Hall, she uh, is the very um, bigoted writer who uh, writes all these books and did not like the fact that the Dark Elves were in Chaden Hall. Well, now she's written one for the Imperial City. Uh, oh wait, don't. So we're gonna... w- weren't you saying that um, she's she's here, right, in the Temple District? Yep. All if right, you go to the Temple District, we'll be able to find her house, right. or at least her husband and daughter. Okay. Sometimes she's in Skingrad. Sometimes she's in the Imperial City. So. Well, let's head over to our house in the Temple District, and maybe we can be like a like a like a picketing party in front of it, like uh. Uh, say free the yes. Argonians. Free the Argonians. <laughs> yes to the leather. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> You're uncriticizing the orcs and the high elves enough. <laughs> Stop being racist. Be racist towards people that you are worth being racist against. <laughs> We're here. Get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> so from her book here. So the Imperial City. We all know the Emperor to be a good and holy man, for he may be see- often seen in the Temple of the One making his devotion to the nine divines and the communion of saints. People who visit the Imperial Palace like to walk among the graves of saints and counts, battle mages and emperors, and gaze upon the white gold tower, which can be seen from any place within the city. The Imperial Council Chamber here cannot be entered, and though you may marvel at the curious ancient armors, you will soon want to be away from the rude and discourteous Imperial Guards. So I'd actually love to see these ancient armors in there. But, uh, the Imperial City Districts. The Imperial City is divided into ten districts. At the center is the Imperial Palace. The other districts are grouped around the palace. So the first district, the Temple District. I live in the Temple District of the Imperial City, and it is a very pretty place. You are welcome to visit me, my husband, and daughter when you come to worship at the Temple of the One. This district is very pretty, and only pleasant and well-bred persons live here. So that's where you're trying to find is her house in the dark coming like a, you know, 
<laughs> one of the people she writes in her book about. Yeah. Um, so I guess she's she's inside the Temple of the One. That doesn't make sense. No, uh, she. the Temple District is there, and the Temple of the One is also in that district. Right. And so she's oftentimes either in her house or at the Temple worshipping when she's not out writing this bigoted uh, propaganda. Mm, yeah. When she's uh, consorting with those who are not so well-bred as those who live in the Temple District. Yeah. <laughs> the Arboretum. This is... In this beautiful garden, you will find the famous statue of the Nine Divines. In the center, you will find the statue of Lord Talos, Emperor Tiber Septim. But is it right that Talos should have his place of honor rather than Akatosh, the King of Gods? It is the scheming pride of the Elder Council who sought the favor with the sons of Talos that is responsible for this shameful error. So that uh, area there. Now, we had talked a little bit about... Uh, uh, the cult of Emperor Zero last week. Uh, oh, uh, sorry, uh, Ivarwin, uh You you just sorry. You had the the house name. It's uh, the house name itself is Hastral uh, Otis. Um, it's on the left hand side of the screen. So you did have it for a moment there. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah, I see it. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Okay, sorry about that. Yes, it's O T T U S. Uh so we were talking about Emperor Zero and the cult of Emperor Zero and uh, a special uh, topiary, uh, which I think we were hoping we would actually see in the Arboretum hmm. and uh, this week with the uh, talking hedges. Oh, there she is. Alessia Otis. I wonder what she's going to say to you. Get out of my house. <laughs> I'm at your <laughs> service. two in the morning. What are you doing here? <laughs> Well, um, hey, continue, Mike. I, I just, but she didn't say anything. She just uh, said hello, basically. The market district. You will find crowds of people waiting outside the doors of the office of the Imperial Commerce to make their complaints about being cheated by some merchant. In this very dirty place, piles of crates lie around in untidy heaps. Unwholesome toadstool and fungus grows in clumps, and the cobbles are slimy and encrusted with filth. You may send your servant rather than visit yourself. It would be far better. The Arcane University. This place is unspeakably dirty and unkept. No better than a slum. You will never find the students or wizards outside in the air, for they are squatting in their dark dungeons, poring over profane texts and making crabby scribbles on scrolls. Within the Archmage's Tower is hidden the Imperial Orrery, which the mages use to study the sky. Such fools. Why do they look to the glory of creation itself and give praise to the nine as they ought rather than squat and peer at such ridiculous and expensive machines. The mages are said to have a great library of precious books, but they jealously hoard them for themselves. This is no loss for the righteous, for these books are surely full of wicked nonsense. The Imperial Waterfront. This is a terrible place. It is not uncommon to stumble over the bodies of women and children who have been murdered here. <laughs> There are no more wicked and godless men in Temriel than merchants and sailors. And they gather here to plot and cheat citizens of their hard-earned gold. Gambling and slaving and skooma-sucking and even more depraved activities take place in warehouses and ships here. The Imperial Prison. The prisons are cruel and horrible, damp and dirty, with chains and pincers and manacles, and instruments of torture on every hand. But did I find any prisoners in these cells? No! 
for the watch is so lazy and careless that the cells are all empty. And lastly, the arena. I will not tell you about this place, for you have no need to visit it. Only idle or foolish persons come here and throw their money away on games of chance, or to spill their own blood when they would better devote themselves to exterminate the armies of robbers and beggars that swarm in the streets. Hmm. So well, she's got her opinions. <laughs> <laughs> the elder yeah, she... prude online. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> That's not right. <laughs> so Hastral here, I, I went to go talk to him, and, and apparently he is a uh, um, big uh, big supporter of Akatosh. There, he wants to talk about Akatosh. So there's that. Um, so so what do you got on the Great War, Mike? So this is up to the point of the the time time of oblivion. I'm not going to cover what happens to the city during the oblivion crisis. Um, so, but we are going to move on to the fourth era to talk about what's happened to the imperial city after the imperial um, or the oblivion crisis. So, from Justinius Quintus Legate, the fourth era, 172 to 173, the Aldmeri advanced to Cyrodiil. It appears now that the initial Aldmeri objective was, in fact, the conquest of Hammerfell, and that the invasion of Cyrodiil was intended only to pin down the Imperial legions while Hammerfell was overrun. During 4th era 172, the Aldmeri advanced deeper into Cyrodiil. Ravel and Anvil both fell to the invaders. By the end of the year, Lord Narfin had advanced to the very walls of the Imperial city. There was fierce naval clashes on Lake Rumare, and along the Nibbin as the Imperial forces attempted to hold the eastern bank. The year 4th era 173 saw stiffening Imperial resistance in Cyrodiil, but the seemingly inexhortable Aldmeri advance continued. Fresh legions from Skyrim bolstered the Imperial's main army in the Imperial city, but the Aldmeri forces crossed the Nibbin and began advancing in force up the eastern bank. By the end of the year, the Imperial City was surrounded on three sides, and only the northern supply route to Bruma remained open. Fourth Era 174, the sack of the Imperial City. In the Fourth Era 174, the Thalmor leadership committed all available forces to the campaign in Cyrodiil, gambling on a decisive victory to end the war once and for all. During the spring, the Aldmeri reinforcements gathered in southern Cyrodiil, and on the 12th of Second Seed, they launched a massive assault on the Imperial City itself. One army drove north to completely surround the city, while Lord Narfin's main force attacked the walls to the south, east, and west. The Emperor's decision to fight his way out of the city rather than to make a last stand was a bold one. No general dared advise him to abandon the capital, but Titus II was proven right in the end. While the 8th Legion fought a desperate and doomed rearguard action on the walls of the city, Titus II broke out of the city to the north with his main army smashing through the surrounding Aldmeri forces and linking up with reinforcements marching south from Skyrim under General Jonah. Meanwhile, however, the capital fell to the invaders and the infamous sack of the Imperial City began. The Imperial Palace was burned, the White Gold Tower itself was looted, and all manners of atrocities carried out by the vengeful elves on the innocent populace. Fourth Era 175, the Battle of the Red Ring. During the winter of 4th era 174-175, the Thalmor seemed to believe that the war in Cyrodiil was all but over. They made several attempts to negotiate with Titus II. The Emperor encouraged them in their belief that he was preparing to surrender. Meanwhile, he gathered his forces to retake the Imperial City. 
what is now known as the Battle of the Red Ring, a battle that will serve as a model for the Imperial strategists for generations to come. Titus II divided his forces into three, one army with the legions from Hammerfeld, but the general Decantus was hidden in the Colovian highlands near Choral. The Almeri were unaware that he was no longer in Hammerfeld, possibly because the Imperial veterans Decantus had left behind, led by Lady Arialos, to believe that still faced an Imperial army. The second army, largely of Nord legions under General Jonah, took up a position near Chadenhall. The main army was commanded by the Emperor himself, would undertake the main assault on the Imperial city in the north. On the 30th of Rain's Hand, the bloody battle of the Red Ring began as General Decantus swept down on the city from the west, while General Jonah's legions drove south along the Red Ring Road. In a two-day assault, Jonah's army crossed the Nibbin advanced west, attempting to link up with Decantus' legion and thus surround the Imperial city. Lord Narfin was taken by surprise by Decantus' assault, but Jonah's troops faced bitter resistance as the Elmeri counterattacked from Breville and Skingrad. The heroic Nord legionaries held firm, however, beating off the piecemealed Almeri attacks. By the fifth day of the battle, the Almeri army in the, in the Imperial city was surrounded. Titus II led the assault from the north and personally captured Lord Narfin. It is rumored that the Emperor wielded the famed sword Goldbrand, although it has never been officially confirmed by the Imperial government. An attempt by the Elmeri to break out of the city to the south was blocked by the unbreakable shield wall of General Jonah's battle legion. In the end, the main Elmeri army in Cyrodiil was completely destroyed. The Emperor's decision to withdraw from the Imperial City in 4th Era 174 was bloodily vindicated. Lord Narfin was kept alive for 33 days, hanging from the White Gold Tower. It is not recorded where his body was buried, if it was buried at all. One source claims he was carried off by Daedra on the 34th day. The White Gold Concordant, the end of the war. Although victorious, the Imperial armies were in no shape to continue the war, and the entire remaining Imperial forces was gathered in Cyrodiil, exhausted, decimated by the Battle of the Red Ring. Not a single legion had more than half of its soldiers fit for duty. Two legions had been utterly and effectively annihilated, not counting the loss of the Eighth during the retreat from the Imperial city the previous year. Titus II knew that there would be no better time to negotiate peace and late in the fourth year of 175, the Empire and the Aldmeris signed the White Gold Concordant, ending the Great War. So we see that the tower is still standing at the end of the war, that the city has been sacked multiple times, that the Imperial Palace itself was burned, and that uh, over the course of, uh, what, five years here? Uh, three years, it was under intense siege, so... So yeah, no, it's definitely uh, definitely by that point it's been by the uh, time of Skyrim it's it's in pretty rough shape, yeah. uh, like we thought. Uh, I, the, I'm sorry, the entire time you were reading that, I couldn't help but imagine it uh, as like a Civil War documentary. Dearest Delilah, on the thirtieth of Rain's hand, <laughs> the bloody battle of the Red Ring has begun as General Dismanus swept down the <laughs> city from the west. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. <laughs> now one so, thing that i was thinking of like when they were talking about how um it, the imperial or the white gold tower was looted i'm wondering like you know what kind of stuff they took i mean you figure the elder scrolls are housed in the uh the imperial city itself and uh not likely to be like 
moved out of the Imperial City when, you know, war was declared, um, you know, would they have been sacked and brought down to the Crystal Tower? What other kind of artifacts, you know, that... Sorry, I, I seem to uh, I seem to recall with the Elder Scrolls at least um, the the ancestor moth monk that you meet in the Dawnguard expansion comments that um, it was either I think it was during the battle with the Dominion, but it could have actually been at the and at the beginning of the Fourth Era after the assault by Merun's Dagon that the Elder Scrolls literally just disappeared one day from the library, so. They, I don't think that they were taken. They literally just were no longer there. They decided to stop existing, or at least exist elsewhere. Like they, because you know the the scrolls. There are times when it's described that you can count the number of scrolls on a wall, then recount them and get a different number five minutes later. Yeah, maybe they're like <laughs> dragon balls. They like shoot up into the air and then zoom all over the planet. That's really awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. But you, I mean, but the the number of artifacts though that must be in that tower that you were, you know, that was likely sacked. Yeah. Hmm. Kind of sad to think about, you know, how uh, the the amount of like awesome things that that could have been in that tower, and you could have like, I don't know, seen or interacted with. Well, I don't know. Well, actually, maybe it's cooler now because. You can come up with like a, a bunch of different like cool things that existed in that tower, and then just like put it in different dungeons and have like you know a quest to go get them. <laughs> oh yeah, no, and, and I can see better. them having more of that type of what happened to the scrolls in later games as well. Yeah, because or just you know, more artifacts in general, especially oh, yeah. if they move south. You know, could you imagine? You know that um, you know they, they they have a whole storyline like a subplot. About one of the uh, the Thalmor legions, you know, transporting the shipment of artifacts out of the White Gold Tower, and it was destroyed and you know sunk to the bottom of this river. And you know, come to find out, like you know, it's been dispersed throughout this region. And now you have to go around and collect it for the quest line. Yeah, sort of like Baron Zaya's crown in Skyrim. Yeah. So, yeah. so Mike, um, obviously this isn't, you know, a, uh, a full history of, of the Imperial City, but I mean, it does represent like most of what you were able to, to find out there, right? Yeah. And it, it's very difficult. I mean, I, I was expecting a lot more information considering right. how prominent it is in this game, right. but there's like very little writing on like, you know, when it, you know, how it was built or, you know, what happened after the Alessian Empire you know, was established. We know that, you know, she moved her capital up to uh, St. Grator. You know, what was going on in the Imperial sitting during the Remen dynasty? I mean, it's it's a setting for a lot of places, but there's... It, it, it's... It's like a background thing, almost. It's so strange how this prominent, you know, important structure is the background for so many stories, yet is never really talked about. Yeah. It um it it seems like it has a lot of like forgotten history. There's the well known stuff, but then after that, it's just like, well, you know. Because if you read the first book of the Potima, the Wolf Queen series, it talks about how you know she was her father and her grandfather were meeting with the um, uh, the representative from Skyrim, and they wanted to you know the representative said that the. The king uh, was to marry 
the first daughter of the emperor, and they said, oh, it's it's in a sealed vault, you know, and with your stamp of approval, and uh, Potima ends up going to the vault and stealing the scroll before the page gets there, but it's like, you know, it's like, okay, it's a room inside of a castle. It's like, it, it doesn't really give us much in the way of, you know, like a, a picture of what, you know, life is really like in there, so. Right. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, uh, we've got uh, we've got about thirty minutes left in the show, and uh, let's uh, let's move over to the scenarist, who is going to uh, explain to us what the Imperial City has meant uh, throughout the entire series. Well, um, honestly, I was thrilled to be doing the, this episode because um, this is a place that it, the Imperial City is so vital to the entire series. And yet, it it has been the site of a, a huge amount of changing lore. Um, this is really where we start. I mean, we start in the Imperial Prison. That's where we really start. But the series is where, in Arena, this is the we begin in this city and we finish the game in this city. No way! Something's in Arena. I know. <laughs> So they they decide, this is something they decided to carry over into the actual beginning from the alpha document, <laughs> um, you know the the alpha game. So, uh, you know we have four games in the series. We're here. We are four games into the series uh, proper, and we're back where we began. And uh, Mike has given us a really good history onto the pro- the city and the a bit of the surrounding province because it's got a hugely deep and intricate. Story that we lo- we really start to get to see pictures of here in Oblivion, and since then has just really been expanded on. Um, the city and the Imperials themselves are hugely important to the series by this point. Um, they loom over, you know, even though they're not in Morrowind, like the city is not in Morrowind or Skyrim, it looms over it. The Imperial Dragon symbol has become synonymous with the series. Ever since it appeared on the cover of Morrowind, I've got it on my keychain. You know, it is so common now. There it is right there. Yeah. So it's important to note that the city and the province and the entire Imperial race have undergone huge changes. So, for example, everything about the aliens, you know, and when we discussed the aliens, I pointed out that the original lore said they had no effect on history whatsoever. So the idea that this was an alien city, that they had an empire that ruled here, that enslaved the humans, originally, that wasn't the case. And on top of it, the lore we see now says that they ruled, and then they were overthrown by men, and it was done. It was just the aliens were in charge, and then men have held it ever since they, they overthrew their masters. But if we look at the first edition guide to the empire, which... I'm sure someone at Bethesda is really reg- regretting writing to th- this by now, considering how often I go back to it, refer to <laughs> the, things the, that have changed. They're regretting that they didn't send somebody to your house to take it back. Yeah, basically. <laughs> like, the changes of the geography and the lore, and, you know. <laughs> but one of the things they say is that the sheer size of Cyrodiil's physical theater and the frequent intervals of elven tyranny made its unification as a whole a slow and off-interrupted process. So that means that originally the idea behind Cyrodiil was that it was tossed back and forth between humans and the more common elf races. Then 
it, it wasn't a single empire being replaced by human rule. It was a back and forth between elves and man for control of this one spot. And we can really see some of that in the writings where they talk about the Nimine versus the Colovian estates of the Colovian highlands. The, yeah, but uh, even though that's more human against human. Yeah. You know, and like here it is the elves that have been trading back and forth with humans. So again, that's something else that we we see change quite a bit. Um it also means that in that eye, the slave revolt isn't really so much a slave revolt as just a human population tossing out yet another group of elven tyrants, which they've done before. Hey, um, let's not refer to them as tyrants. <laughs> refers to them as tyrants, and the uh, Almor agent who's giving critiques doesn't actually refute that. <laughs> like, uh, we're, we're tyrants. I'll get you know, it's a fair cop. <laughs> um, but basically, like looking at uh, you know, like or sorry, um, it, that really does change the feel of who Alessia was and and what she accomplished. And there's other stuff in the guide that actually does change a bit of view of Alessia as to how she was originally presented and what she, you know, where she stands now. But let's, I think we can save that for a different episode. Um, and, but really, I mean, having it just a back and forth, it does kind of take some of the grandeur and mystery out of the entire, the entire province that way, because it goes from this seat of massive power to just, another kingdom that's been fought over. Um, it does live up to its uh, nickname, the arena though. Oh, it does. It I, I like how I, you know, this, this image of the arena re really, it sort of is a bit reminiscent of the, uh, the cover of the original game. Yes, it is. Except they don't have the female in yeah. the, in the string kini armor. No battle thong. <laughs> the battle thong. No battle thong. Right. Um, so it's also important to note that the guide and one book in Morrowind, the uh, the Imperial Provinces, also refer to Cyrodiil as a lush and thick jungle. And of course, this has been a huge source of contention among uh, lore buffs that this is how it's described, this is how it should look in um, the second, you know, in these during ESO, it should be a jungle. Uh, there are numerous reasons that have been sort of given in and out of game for why it, you know theories for why it isn't a jungle um including you know one too many there's <laughs> basic oh no that's that's the reason is that it's like uh we can't actually render this jungle that's it's not gonna work um but like there's the um the non-canonics uh description that it was talos that changed it there is the uh, in ESO, there's two descriptions. One is that the tower itself changes or has an effect on the surrounding climate, depending on who's in charge. Like, who is, is someone actually seated in the ta in uh, like properly controlling the tower? I guess dragon fires lit type thing, or not? And another person who says uh, anything that refers to it as a jungle is just basically a translation error. That keeps I like getting. the idea like that, that it was one. written by uh, someone out of the desert, and so the fact that it had green plants immediately means it's a jungle. Oh, yeah. yeah you know, I, I got something on that. You know, um, way back, way back, um, I was I was <laughs> dating dating this girl from Canada. Um, <laughs> you had a Canadian girlfriend? <laughs> yeah, I did, actually. Yeah, she was, she was actually half Israeli, half Danish, 
And she lived in Canada for, for most of her, of her life. Seriously, guys, she's totally from Canada. That's why you can't meet her. Well, <laughs> she, she considered herself Canadian, but no one else did. <laughs> so in any event, um, she she lived in, in a city over there. And, you know, I I, I drove her back um, to uh, to meet my mother at one point. And, um, you know, I live in, in a predominantly rural area. Uh, I mean, it's not extremely rural. It's the suburbs is, is what it is. But... You know, to her, uh, when we got out here, she, the first thing that came out of her mouth was, oh, it's the farms. And I, I was looking around, I'm like, there's not a single farm to be had in eyesight. Like, there's farms here, but not where you're looking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it's, it's very true what Mike said, that, you know, if you come from a different place and, and all of a sudden you see features that that um are reminiscent of of the extreme you kind of look at it as the extreme in this case you know she came from a city she saw houses with lawns it to her it meant farm you know if you come from you know the alakir desert and you see greenery all of a sudden you're in a jungle yeah exactly so but when when you consider though like what does it mean if if cereal was a jungle because it's been so important. But that all of a sudden means that the most important city in the world is actually physically isolated from the rest of the provinces. Because, uh, you know, there's... there's Imagine having, you know, you were trying to get to the center of power for an entire empire. And it's like navigating Grotwood every single time you want to go anywhere <laughs> in this entire province. <laughs> All I could hear is rage in the back of my head. Where are they? No, I, I, I'm fully with him. I mean, if it was a jungle, it suddenly becomes a very difficult place to get to. And whether or not it's a seat of mystical power, it becomes extremely impractical as a seat of political power. So while that could technically explain why Alicia moved to a different city, I think that has more to do with they wanted to get away from any elven, inf- elven, uh, elvish influence uh, and make it a true human empire than, you know, than basically wanting to escape any form of isolation. Because then they, they wouldn't have moved back uh, when Raymond Cyrodiil and everyone took over. So I'm not a fan of the whole jungle theory i feel it's just one of those it was mentioned once but it's been dropped in the same way that the idea that the dunmer were ruled for several centuries by skyrim as dumber not chimer before the tribunal showed up like again there's more there's just as much uh published lore for that as there is for the cyrodiil jungle so I think it's just something that they dropped and, you know, for good reason. Right. Moved on from. Yeah. So, but we're not finished just yet because, and this is, this is goes back to what I feel is one of the most, two of the most important things to remember. Um, there, the idea of something called Cyrodiil is not an, or is not something that began with the series. Uh, it's just an unnamed city named the Imperial City in an unnamed province called the Imperial Province. That's how it was in Daggerfall, in Arena, and in Battlespire. It wasn't until Redguard shows up that the name Cyrodiil ever became 
a name for the Imperial province. And that goes into then the biggest change. Um, if you look into the opening of... You can't play an Imperial in uh, in Arena or Daggerfall or again in Battlespire. And the reason for this is it's explained in, in the manual for Daggerfall. And it it's specifically says... Click on any click on the province you wish to be your homeland. The Imperial province, having no indigenous race, cannot be chosen. Now we know that the that the Imperials are broken into the Clovians and the Nibbanese. It's two different groups of people who are specifically this is their homeland. Originally, the Imperial province was just populated by basically people from the other provinces coming to a central point. No Imperials. So Think about that. If you cling hard to, to lore, like if it's written once, that's it. And you refuse to accept that it can change. Look at what this leaves us with. There's no Imperials. There's no Serial. You've got an unnamed city isolated in an unnamed province that, uh, that basically bounces back and forth between the common races of men and myrrh. It doesn't give us this grand, vibrant, magical city with this unique, uh, people who have had such um, change, you know, have had such an effect on things. So whether or not you would prefer the original, that your, your mileage may vary, but I really think that this, it is a, a shining jewel of just what that lore changes and why lore changes in this series are actually healthy and extremely good. Right. They don't change the lore of the game wantonly or without reason. You know, it's it's done because they believe that the lore change um, is is going to make the game better, which is the most important thing. How's the gameplay? Is the gameplay going to be better as a result of this? And if the answer is yes, then all they got to do is find a good excuse. And, and they always have like a really good built-in excuse. It's it's always a you know it could be a translation error it could be you know bias of of the original historian it could be you know the original historian just didn't know and how many times do we have um, examples of that in our own history you know for years for for hundreds of years we thought the story of the Trojan horse was just a myth and then all of a sudden we come to find out it's not yeah you know uh, and that was only uncovered what in the 1940s at the latest. You know, so I or mean, even just look at the Dead Sea Scrolls. I mean, for thousands of years, the way Christianity had been ruled through the Catholic Church, to you know, in our own lifetimes now, the Dead Sea Scrolls having been unearthed and started to be translated, right? Mm -hmm. And and we start getting, you know, different interpretations of uh, the the original interpretation that we've held on to for a long time. So this this sort of thing is not uncommon. It's not like you know. It, it's hard to understand. So so I agree with you when you say, Mark, that um, uh, things that, uh, th you know, lore changes in the game happen um, and they, they're good and, and they're also f they're for a good reason is what I'm trying to say. I, I agree with you on that. Varwin, did you complete the quest with the, um, uh, the business there? I did. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was fun. So, uh, Mark, in, in closing... Uh, for your Sonarist archives, um, what what else what else is there? What what do you have to say? No, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, but I mean, in summary, in summary, uh, I really just feel that this does show 
that honestly this is my favorite province this is my fa- the imperials are my favorite race out of the game and it just goes to show that where we started you know in the lore has changed so drastically but has given so much to the series in doing so i mean the imperial city that we are going to see in ESO later this you know ne- uh in in the next month it would not be nearly as impressive if if we didn't have what we have now if it followed the original lore correct like i'm sure they might have might have come up with something but i can't imagine what they would come up with which would be as interesting and as just integral to the series as they have now well that brings up a really good a really good question and and it's time for our fast question guys real quick we'll go with mark uh with mike and then mark do we play the imperial race mike uh no i don't mark I just said that they're my favorite race, so no, I don't. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I actually do not play the uh, the Imperial race. Um, now now I'm wondering if maybe we have we have reasons. Uh, so let's let's go with Mike on this one. Um, why do you choose not to play the Imperial race? I think part of it is is that I started in Skyrim. I come from a heavy uh, Lord of the Rings background. Um, and so I always wanted to play elves or, you know, wood elves particularly. Uh, yeah. And so my first character was, uh, an elf. My first character in ESO was an elf. Uh, my first character in Oblivion was an elf. And it wasn't until, you know, we've done this series that I've gotten, well, that's a really pretty picture. Um, uh, much more, um, screen capture a couple of those for me, would you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a much more appreciation for the other races, you know, including things like the Argonians, uh, including things like the different aspects of the humans, you know, the difference between a Breton, an Imperial, and a Nord. Um, you know, so it really, you know, it for me, that's the reason why. And it's through things like this that we do that really gives me a new appreciation for the different races or the different games or the different, you know, play styles um yeah so it it, you know that's the reason why i've never played one before i do have an imperial he's level six and all he's done right now is ride around and make food for me (laughs) (laughs) now mark what about you why do you why are they your favorite race well first of all we apparently cannot be friends anymore because you guys don't play imperials but um (laughs) Okay, well, I guess it comes down to when I when I was done Daggerfall, I played the entire thing as a Khajiit, and I loved it, and I had my huge headcanon that my 15-year-old self came up with. And then Warren comes out, and the Khajiit have changed drastically, and it, it basically was like, I, I don't like this, I'm not, I don't want to play this, what are my other options? And I saw these you know, the Imperials, and I, I looked, and I liked the sort of romantic feeling to their armor, and their the empire and whatnot and just i started to play and in later years as i started to play like more rpgs and everything i found i always play a character that is the talking character i like whether it's a tabletop rpg or a computer rpg i'm always the face character i always wanted 
negotiate my way out of things. I always want to make deals and whatnot. And just these, the race, you know, that's what they work for. This is that's yeah. the type of of character that they really excel at. That's the and, that's the imperial race. Yeah. To be fair, like I played, um, you know, hundreds of hours of Skyrim, and I think I've used the voice of the uh, voice of the emperor. Uh, ability, which is fantastic. It's a great ability to have. Maybe twice, two, three times, maybe. You know, I I'm not. I don't play them for their power. I play them because just I like their culture. I like how they work. I like the the feeling behind them. Hmm. So yeah. Well, well. Speaking of that, um, let's let's take a little bit. Let's take a little look at uh, at what the Imperial race uh, offers offers the other games. Um, me in particular, I don't, I don't play Imperials, uh, really because I, I don't necessarily see like a benefit to what I want to do in the game with them. Um, now we've got this one picture here from ESO, right? This is their, yeah, uh, their passives, which I think it is. Uh, I pulled it off of the one that said Imperial. Um, let me double check because I'm seeing over here it says Breton. On the side, so yeah. Um, let's I, let's go to Skyrim first, and I'll double check the ESO one. Sure. Uh, so so their attributes in Skyrim they get uh, plus ten to personality, um, as well as minus ten to agility and will willpower. So those are their those are their attributes. Um, me, I I didn't. I didn't really care for the plus ten to personality. I was more interested in other things. Yeah, well, well, in in Skyrim, in that they don't really have the 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 attri- like the personality or agility in that. Um, that's more for yeah the later games. Mm. Um, in Oblivion, it's the same thing. Um, whether it's a male or a female, you get the plus ten to personality, minus ten to agility and willpower. But uh, what changes here is the willpower. For men, they get a minus 10 to willpower. For women, they get a minus 10 to speed. However, uh, skill-wise, they get a plus 10 to mercantile, speechcraft, and heavy armor, as well as a 5, a plus 5 to blade, blunt, and hand-to-hand. Their greater power is Star of the West. Uh, They get Absorb Fatigue, which uh, absorbs 100 points on touch once per day they also have voice of the emperor it's a greater power charms uh 30 points for 30 seconds on target once a day uh on to morrowind again the the uh plus 10 to personality minus 10 to agility willpower for men speed for women um, they get the the Star of the West, which again is the uh, absorb fatigue, but this time it's two hundred instead of one hundred. In a in a in um from Oblivion, I guess they they felt going from Morrowind to Oblivion that two hundred points was um overpowered. <laughs> I never really got the whole uh, the whole absorb Star of the West power. To be honest, the where it fits in, why why you would do that. Well, it, it it adds to your um, to your stamina. Oh no, no, I, I gathered that I, it was more the um, the justification for it, why they're able to drain stam- stamina from people. Uh, 
well, again, it's just sort of like yeah. it was one of those weird little. Not sure I see the lore reason. It it, it is yeah. Well, yeah. If you're going, if you're if you're coming from that a- angle of it, then yeah. <laughs> How yeah. are you able to absorb someone's uh, someone's stamina? Maybe it's it's based on their personality. Maybe mm-hmm. um, personality wise, you know, you know, when someone talks a lot, you just feel drained from listening to them. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually awesome. That's that's an awesome explanation. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe they're just like, all right, dude, I'll just buy the damn thing. Jesus, just shut, shut up. up. Come on. <laughs> um, and then, of course, um, they have ten to speechcraft, mercantile, long blade, five to blunt weapon, blunt weapon, light armor, and hand to hand. Uh, and they're not available in Daggerfall or, or Arena. Now, uh, now, Mike, on to ESO. Uh, what what did you find there? So they uh, first uh, passive is a shield affinity. Uh, so they uh, increases the experience gained when using one hand in shield lines. Uh, they have uh, tough, which gives you an increase to your maximum health. Uh, conditioning, which increases your maximum stamina. And then Red Diamond, which melee attacks uh, give you a percentage chance to restore your health uh, as you attack people. Okay. All right, then. Um, anything else that we want to say about the Imperial race or or just the Imperial city as as a whole? All right. Not that I can think of. I think from the outside, it looks amazing. Uh, from the inside... Just like a lot of things in in Oblivion, it gives you a very claustrophobic feel almost because, you know, the it's very vertical, like walls with very narrow streets. Uh, mm. I can't wait to see what happens when they release it for ESO uh, to see because each of these these districts are going to be much larger uh, when they go to ESO because of the the play style that they're expecting inside of it. Oh sure. Uh, um, yeah, which is always really good, uh, you know. But I definitely—it's one of my favorite. I mean, you know, it, there, I've done multiple paintings of it. One of them sitting in Mark's house, probably staring at it right now. Oh yeah, uh, right over my computer. You know, so I love the Imperial City. It's just, you know, just amazing. It and is. the lighting effects—I really can't wait for uh, the Skyrim version that comes that they're working on. I've seen some pictures of that. It looks amazing. Yeah, for uh, that mod, uh, was it uh, Sky Oblivion? It's 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 a gorgeous city. Um, it it okay. absolutely is, and I think it's it's a a, a favorite for for many. Uh, one one great thing about the city is no matter what street you turn down, it looks different than the one that you you just turned from, and different from the one you were on five minutes ago. Uh, not not one street in this in this city looks similar to to the other and um that's that's incredible incredible art design it really is yeah Uh, especially since it's such a um it's it's clear that a lot of city planning went into the creation of let's make everything symmetrical let's make it all you know all all very regimented in in its presentation right but then you're you're right they they add personality enough to it and there's a lot of nooks and crannies, you know, a lot of uh, alleyways and and um, structural features. You know, you're walking down a street and there's just a bridge span just just right there. Uh, it's 
and then you turn right and there's an alley and you go down the alley and there's a little grotto in there where you, you know you can you can kind of hang out a little bit and and maybe uh take a breather from a quest or two kind of take a look mm-hmm. at your character and whatnot works great too if you're a sneaking character yeah. um you know uh there's there's a tremendous amount of culture you get a sense of the culture in in this city as well that's uh, I can't imagine. I just missed the, the talking head uh, topiaries. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't imagine how hard it is to to build a city in a video game where as you're walking through it, you get a sense of history and culture just by walking through it. But you do while, do, while walking through here. And I don't know how they do that. They're extremely talented over at Bethesda. Um, but this is this is the city they've they've built for us. Yeah. All right, folks. Uh, that is that is the end of our show, and um, unfortunately, we did not receive any emails uh, this week or for this episode, I should say. So, so please do send uh, an email or two uh, for for next episode, as we're going to explore another city here in in Cyrodiil. Um, yeah, there's a lot of calls in the chat room right now for Anvil, so that might be our next one. Really. Uh, yeah. yeah, so, you know, make sure you guys send the emails, you know, give us an idea of things that you've always wondered about, you know, about, you know, Oblivion, Elder Scrolls Four, you know, about some of the cities, uh, the lucky old lady or something like that, you know? Yeah, and if you're, if you're asking questions in the chat, because we're trying to, you know, we've got so much to go through, we don't always have a chance to, to answer in the chat or anything, so send us those questions, too. Let's just, let's just say Anvil. Let's just announce Anvil. Next Anvil episode, Anvil. How about that? Hammer and Anvil. Hammer and Anvil. Is that all right? Sounds <laughs> good to me. <laughs> all right. So next episode will be in Anvil. If you have questions or a comment or something you'd like us to focus on while there, again, email us at elderscrollsofftherecord at gmail.com. We'd be more than happy to, 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 to uh, take a look at it. Don't tweet us this, this, uh, this thing because tweets will easily forgotten. Uh, in the in the in the two weeks it takes us to put the show together, send us the email. I know it's a lot easier to just grab your phone, hit hit on Twitter, and just say, "Hey, how about you focus on this with Anvil?" I know it's easier to do that, but for us, it's impossible to remember. Um, so if you send us the email, where I'm at least able to put a star on it and be like, "Okay, let's let's come back to that." So that's why it works so well for us. So please, uh, Elder Scrolls off the record at gmail.com. Final thoughts uh, before we completely close out the show, starting with Mike. I had a really good time uh, in uh, uh, Elder Scrolls 4 here. I might actually boot this up uh, today and play some of uh, my character here. Maybe I'll finally get into the Dark Brotherhood with him. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) I was in mid-yawn, unfortunately. I I I still haven't fully woken up. (laughs) I'm constantly accidentally getting an invitation to... uh, to the Dark Brotherhood whenever I play Oblivion. Always. Always. Especially in Kavach. My That's- other character, you know, has risen through the ranks, you know, almost completed the entire quest line. My low-level character, who, you know, was the one I want to play, you know, I have tried for, you know, number of sessions trying to get in. That one where it was the challenge, where it's like, you know, join the Dark Brotherhood, and I could not do it to save my life. <laughs> Why yeah, won't you half die? The of Coral, and it didn't work. <laughs> half the chain hall lies dead. <laughs> they don't want me. Why won't you die? <laughs> Let's uh, do a little wait here for a few hours. See if I can catch the sunrise. 
coming over the uh, the bridge here. All right, guys. Um, well, uh, Mark, final thoughts. Again, like great episode. I love I love the Imperials. They're my favorite race. I love the Imperial city, and it's just it's great to go through and talk about how it's changed and and just the struggles that have been involved in this just one one place. This one point on the map has just um, been a magnet for so much history. You know, we, we only scratched a tiny fraction of the history of this place. But, you know, like that, then look, we, we've got two hours into an episode out of it. Absolutely. So, yeah. All right, guys. Well, you can hear our show on iTunes as well as the Stitcher radio app, which is available for you Android listeners. Uh, if you don't feel like downloading the app and you don't have access to iTunes, no worries. You can go to questgamingnetwork.com, either from your computer or your mobile device, and be able to access the show just the same from there. Um, our uh, our mobile site works very, very well. Um, I often use it while listening to our shows uh, in the car if I don't feel like using the app just to test out the site. It works out great. So you can uh, listen there as well as YouTube youtube.com slash quest gaming network please hit that subscribe button if you've enjoyed our show today uh hey you can follow us on twitter you can follow mike our tamrielic historian at kdr mickey that's m-i-c-k-e-y and mark our our sonarist at carnigan wolf that's c-a-r-n-a-g-a-n-w-o-l-f-e and of course our show at Elder Scrolls OTR. That's Elder Scrolls OTR. Classic Elder Scrolls is a Quest Gaming Network production. Time to say goodbye, gentlemen. Let's start with Mike. Have a good day, everybody. I will catch everybody tomorrow for our episode of ESOTR. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. That's going to be a good one. It's going to be a really good one. Oh, it's, it's uh, yeah, as soon as I write that, yeah, it's going to be. Uh, send me uh, the things and I'll do like I did last week. Shoot. <laughs> uh, yeah, we might have to because <laughs> I have to post this too tonight. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Get that together. All right, guys, uh, and and Mark. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. Have a great have a great day, guys. Uh, have a good week and uh, join me on Thursday, nine thirty p.m. Eastern Standard Time as I'm going back into Morrowind. And I'm joining up with the Imperial Legions. Let's see how a bard does there. Yeah. You're going to find the uh, the, the boots of Hori Fist. <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> we'll see see what other sexual harassment and other uh, other <laughs> uncomfortable situations I can get myself into. Pervy Daedra. <laughs> Pervy Daedra, Pervy NPCs. Seriously, again, what is this series becoming? <laughs> Maybe and we'll, why am I only seeing it now? <laughs> maybe we'll be lucky and see an unbustled Mafala. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Giggity. <laughs> All right, everyone. Take care. Be safe. And as always, may the force be with you.
I'm there now uh, in the in the uh, yeah the alchemy shop is like the, your best bet. The alchemy the shop ingredient. should be close to the uh, arena district entrance. The secret ingredient. Sorry. <laughs> 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 Did you catch that for an outtake? <laughs> That's my wife. Yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> that was pretty good. Lynn's currently being the peanut gallery for now. Aw. <laughs> is that is that her Pinkie Pie uh, imitation? No, no, that's not her Pinkie Pie imitation. <laughs> oh, they were just asking if that was your Pinkie Pie imitation. Uh, no, that would shatter glass. No, that would shatter glass. Aw. <laughs> So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's her pinky pie imitation. <laughs> <laughs>